Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're talking with Father Richard Pagano, and we're discussing seven reasons being a Catholic priest is actually awesome. And I've got to tell you, personal experience, I wouldn't trade the priesthood for the world. Let me tell you why. All right, welcome back, everyone. Father Rich, uh, it's just you and I today. We're flying solo, more or less. So, um, and there's one person who is flying right now, and that's Ryan that's right. Delacross. <laughs> that's right, because he missed his flight. He was supposed to be back in time, so he missed his flight. So uh, it's just going to be the the two of us here, which is which is all right. So, Father Rich, from my understanding, you're a priest, right? Last time I checked, yes. Even though there is a suspicious guy on our comment section that thinks I am not a priest, but no, indeed, I have been ordained validly by three bishops in the Diocese of St. Augustine. Yes, I, I am an ordained Catholic priest. <laughs> <laughs> How's that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Dude, I'm from the bottom of my heart, especially after Lent into the Triduum, celebrating Easter within the octave you know, focusing on Divine Mercy Sunday. I'm a little tired, but I am overjoyed at the privilege of being a priest. I could not be happier or more engaged, especially right now in the most solemn liturgies of the whole year. Yeah. You know, we did an episode in the past, the worst things about being a priest, right? Where you got to share some of the challenges that the priesthood brings. But we thought, you know, it'd be good to talk about the positive aspects because the positive aspects far outweigh any challenges and any vocation in life, whether you're married, whether you're celibate, whether you're a priest, whether you're a doctor or a baker or whatever it is, any vocation is going to have challenges. But mm -hmm. what we want to focus on are really the fruits and the joys of the priesthood today. And I think it's something that if you are a young man, or maybe you have a, a, a family member who's considering uh, and discerning a vocation, Here's some of the reasons that uh, that life really is something joyful, awesome, and something to really consider. Or if you're a young woman, um, a lot of these things will apply too. So this is about why discerning a religious life and particularly being a priest actually is a great vocation, a great life that more people should consider. It's it's so true. And Sheila, I've got to say, you know, the the reasons, uh, you know, the things that drive me crazy as a priest, it was a fun episode. We had a great time with it. But, you know, like you said, the greater fruits of my life and my day in and day out, it's so far more superior, you know, and, and what drives my priesthood every day is the fruits of joy. And the joy is, is that my communion with Christ has called me to the state of celibacy, to fatherhood, and to celebrate the sacraments, the mysteries of the faith. And on a daily basis for people, it, it locks me in, man. And I, I could not be happier or I'm surprised that God called me to this. But I mean, it's just it is the joy of my life, truly. And, and that's what our hearts really long for. So in every vocation, how do we get to that joy? How do we find that place where, you know, how can we pursue it? I've been focusing on the Latin phrase for the past week and a half. Per crucem ad lucem. Through the cross, per crucem, ad lucem, ad to lucem, light. So it's through the cross to the light. And lucem could be translated today, like the light of a new day. 
And what is being enlightened in the soul when we embrace the cross and we continue to pursue in dying to ourself in our particular vocation, when we're dying to ourself in order to love the other, then we enter into the new day of greater communion with Christ who died for us to set us free in order to love one another the way that God loves us and manifests his love perfectly through his son, Jesus Christ. So that has been such a central meditation for me over these past few days. And I hope that, uh, I hope it really speaks to our listeners today. Awesome. You know, one thing like you and I get to hang out a lot me, you and Delacrosse hang out a lot and we'll, you know, golf or hang out, play video games, you know, dope around and just have a good time. Right. Um, but when I see you, when you're in your ministerial life, when I attend one of your masses and I was sitting far in the back, so I'm not distracting you and hide behind pillars. So I'm not making <laughs> you laugh and crack up. Behind <laughs> the pillar. That's your That's favorite right. spot is like behind the pillar. Head That's down. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you really are in a sense, you're like transfigured. I mean, you're not different. You're not a different person when you're in your, you know, when you are celebrating mass or celebrating the sacraments, but you are a transfigured and an elevated version of who you are, maybe on a relaxed private moment. It really, and it's not something that's like um, facetious, like in private, you're, you know, one way, but it's, you're the same, but more. And I think that's one of the aspects of the priesthood is that it adds something indelible to your soul and to your character that I don't think another vocation really does. It's interesting. You reminded me of the very first Mass I celebrated on the Feast of Pentecost, which was on May 19th, 2013, which was out at the rustic altar, the first altar established in the United States of, in the United States of America, where a community has been established and has endured. And where I was there, I was celebrating Mass, and it was my first Mass. And people were asking me, like, are you nervous? Are you, like, leading up to it, yeah, you go through the you go through a little bit of nerves, but honestly, when I started celebrating the mass and when I began in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I felt so settled in my identity for the first time in my entire life. And exactly what you're describing, which I, I find it interesting that that you've you've seen that and and uh, can identify that, but that was the feeling spiritually is that this is who I've always been. That that's what I shared. Like afterwards, people were like it seemed like you've celebrated mass your whole life. Like, how did you, you know, and it was really just the, the, the spiritual sense of self and God, who I am and the mystery of all of this. And I felt so locked in than in any other type of circumstance, like sports, athletic, whatever it was, you know, in the past, I've never felt so locked in and more alive than in, in celebrating mass or any of the sacraments for that matter. Yeah, there's the there's a quote and it's escaping me who said it but the joy of god is a man fully alive and certainly when you are in your priesthood you're fully alive and that's joyful to god and you know that's what we want to talk about on this episode now before we do father rich why don't you tell everyone how they can connect with us how they can learn more and how they can help support the show I'd be happy to. So before we go any further in this show, take a moment, subscribe, click the little bell. Every time that we produce a show, it will notify you so you could lock right in and journey with us each and every week here at the Catholic Talk Show. If you're find, trying to find ways to listen in or view our content, go to catholictalkshow.com. There you will see every way that you could listen in on your commutes to work or even when you're preparing for work at the house before you get started with your day. We want to give a big shout out to our Patreons. 
without our patrons that support our show financially, we wouldn't be able to do this effort. And this effort is continuing to grow to meet, meet new measures of reach and so many different viewers and listeners from all around the world. A lot of love to everybody that supports the show, especially our patrons. If you want to be a patron and support the show financially, go to patreon.com forward slash Catholic talk show. There you'll see every way you could support us. And we truly appreciate your generosity. Yep. Big shout out to our Patreons. Um, we really couldn't do this show without you. And it means so much to us that you support us. Um, so let's get into these seven reasons, right? Um, here's, a, here's one of the first reasons we talked about. And I think this is practical, but also really actually pretty awesome. Any job for the most part has a dress code, right? Whether you're you have a uniform or whether you have a code of dress that you have to adhere to <laughs> every job kind of has clothes that matches the occupation. But I, I would say being a priest, priests get pretty cool clothes from vestments to never having to really pick a color palette and just wearing the same thing every day. I mean, it's, it's a good perk of the job. I mean, how many days in a row can you get away with wearing the same cleric shirt? You know, no one, <laughs> one would, know would the never difference. tell one would right, never would, tell <laughs> one would smell one would never tell. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, you read you read books of, you know, the greatest, uh, you know, founders of different companies or CEOs that are immensely successful. And a lot of them say, you know, they wear the same thing every single day. That's right. And, you know, because you don't want to spend the mental energy to figure out, OK, I want to wear this with this and this and this and this. it's like there's no thought process. Like I wake up, I put on my the same pants, same shoes, same shirt. And if it's cold, I have a few options that I wear, you know, on the outside. And I start my day like it, there is no mental or spiritual energy given to anything that I'm wearing. And that's the point. Um, what I the, am, that's the point of the cleric clothes is that it is a sign of death to the world. And it's a uniformity and a standard. There's no um, conforming to societal fashion trends. I mean, it is just what it is. And I think that's an important Fest, thing. though. And I will, I will show you like there, there is no mental or spiritual energy spent there. And I think there's reasons behind that, but I do have a little bit of vanity and I have to share it with everybody. I do have a very full sock drawer of many different socks that I have to choose through, whether I'm going to wear my St. Dominic socks, my St. John Paul, the second socks, my St. Joseph socks, or my mama socks, as I affectionately call my mama socks. So, you know, I do have some choices there. So that's my little vanity, but it's, it's a fun way to start the day. And the kids definitely love my, uh, my very colorful socks for sure. Yeah. There, there's a company out there. We work with, uh, with Fusati, a sock religious, great company. They make a lot of great, you know, fun Catholic socks. So, uh, I guess that's your your option to express yourself is through your socks. <laughs> express, <laughs> maybe, yourself. express yourself. Express <laughs> yourself. You know, and, and look, vestments aren't half bad either. And but those are chosen for you cyclically. But you really can um, elevate the experience of the mass for the people through your choice of vestments, whether it's you know a beautiful fiddleback or a chasuble or or the the copas that you wear in a procession. I mean, there's a lot of I'm sorry. Look, the fashion companies think men want a certain thing. What men really want to do is dress like that. That's awesome, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, you get I, you to know wear what? a cape and stuff like that. It doesn't <laughs> be cooler. Everyone wants to be Batman, and you can't be Batman, so be a priest. It, it, you know what? It's true. It, it's That's very true. A true statement. Um, you know, you look at some of the most austere priests in the history of the church, and 
the model of diocesan priesthood and, and the, you know, a, a priest that's elevated in the midst of the world, St. John Vianney, St. Francis of Assisi, you know, was, you know, the equivalent of a deacon, essentially, uh, in the church. So, you know, both of these men who lived austere, ascetical, practiced lives would say that you would never, ever skimp on celebrating the Eucharist in proper vestments and adorning the sanctuary with beauty, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because it is deserving of that. So there should be some mental and spiritual energy given into the decorations of a sanctuary, the, you know, the, the design of, you know, vestments that properly draw people into the mystery of the priesthood, the mystery of the high priesthood of Jesus Christ, the mystery of God becoming flesh, and God dying on the cross and rising into new life, the firstborn of the dead, like our vestments, our sanctuaries, our artwork need to reflect that with the greatest capacity of our ability. So the fact that, you know, one of the joys of my priesthood is that one, I get to wear these, I I like my clerics, you know, one, I get to wear clerics in a lineage in solidarity with priests throughout every generation, the same style, the same look, the black dyed to self with the collar. Like, I love that. And then there gets to be expressions artistically of now I get to spend my spiritual energy of clothing the sanctuary, like mm-hmm. not myself, clothing the sanctuary and then clothing Christ's priesthood. You know, when I'm walking day in and day out as a cleric, I, I hope that not only my clothing says I'm, I'm dying to myself, I'm not trying to be worldly, but, you know, at the same time, when I'm in the priest, when I'm in celebrating in persona Christi, I hope that that's also visible as well with the spiritual energy of, of dressing the priesthood that's been entrusted to my care when I celebrate the sacred mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, look, being a priest, the clothes, that's one of the perks of the job. Now, another thing that a lot of men, when they're considering, you know, priesthood or what they're going to be when they grow up is, you know, whether or not to have children. Right. Mm. And, um, you know, even the most Catholic guy, I mean, how many children can you have in the course of a lifetime? If you're really trying, I like my grandparents had, my great grandparents had 14 kids and that's, extreme but most people have three four five you know that's how it works out um but you get to really essentially have an unlimited amount of spiritual children which means that your fatherhood although maybe not a biological fatherhood but your fatherhood is really amplified in a way that maybe a a lay person like myself can never really fully experience that level of fatherhood why don't you talk about that a bit you know fatherhood is is very central to the unfolding mystery of, of the priesthood that I'm experiencing firsthand, without a doubt. I rewind back to 2008, being at Creighton University and attending the great Institute of Priestly Formation, one of the greatest summers of formation I experienced. And I remember there was a course in spiritual fatherhood, living Christ's own revelation of the father. And, you know, you work through that content And, you know, you start to envision, oh, priesthood, fatherhood, and you could see, you know, the triune nature of God and and God manifesting his fatherhood through Christ. But in all honesty, like you really don't start living that until you're a priest, until you start baptizing, until you start 
you know, doing marriage prep and weddings and hearing confessions and celebrating the Eucharist, when you're, when you're celebrating the seven, you know, the, the beautiful sacraments of the church and you're confirming, you know, someone in faith. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. And the fatherhood that's emerging in me, especially in the solemn year of St. Joseph that Pope Francis called for, the more I'm devoting my intentional life to learning about St. Joseph, the application of those spiritual elements of St. Joseph's masculinity and his fatherhood are coming to the forefront of my own, my own deposit of life and, and my own dying to self. So I see fatherhood emerging in such a beautiful way. And for anybody out there that is considering priesthood and, and is really meditating on the mystery of fatherhood in the priesthood, there is a great resource that I would highly recommend. Father Carter Griffin uh, put together a book called Why Celibacy? Reclaiming the Fatherhood of the Priest. And I'd like to take a moment and just share a quote where he was referencing Pope Pius XII, which really right behind my head is the Pius clock, and he's the one yeah, at the boom. top. Yeah. <laughs> Supernatural Fatherhood. This is page 21. The ultimate joy of parents is not simply seeing their children happy on earth. It is seeing them happy forever in heaven. From the perspective of faith, transmitting physical life only makes sense if the more perfect moral and spiritual life is also transmitted, right? That makes a lot of sense. Pius Twelfth observed to parents, quote, you are under the direction of the priests, the first and the closest educators and teachers of the children whom God has given to you. In the building of the temple of the church, which is made not from dead stones, but from souls living with new heavenly life, you are the spiritual guides for your children. You yourselves are, as it were, priests of the cradle, infancy, and childhood, and you must show them the way to heaven. End quote. What a difference it would make in the world if every Christian parent understood this. And in that respect, you know, it is parents who bring their children to the fonts of baptism and entrust them to my father, my fatherhood as a priest in persona Christi. It is parents that are bringing children to the church, raising them in the practice of the faith, in proper behavior at church, being attentive, being receptive, coming to learn that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist body, blood, soul, and divinity, helping them come to ascertain that, to see that mystery, and to pray before it and come and receive the Eucharist, to draw them into being confirmed in their own faith and professing their faith, faith in Jesus Christ and knowing the Nicene and apostolic creeds, you know? And, and to, to see that happening, for me, is a joy when, when parents are bringing kids to the fonts of mercy, and they are being fed. I, in fact, I just received an email that I was responding to before the show of a mom who's trying to get her second child baptized and, you know, reaching out to me because she's struggling to get a sponsor letter from another church on behalf of her brother. Mm -hmm. I received a sponsor letter already, you know, so it's like from, from this last baptism that I did for her. So she's turning to me and my fatherhood so that I could help her in this, in this conflict that she's having, right? And that, that people would turn to me for that type of support or help, again, is, is one of the greatest joys of my life. You know, one of the things you said in there kind of caught my attention. And, and this is something you talk about 
a lot in the nature of the Trinity is the always now. It's always now mm. for the Trinity. There is no, you know, it's the Alpha and the Omega. There is no yesterday. There is no future. It is always now. And from parents in the traditional biological sense, there's kind of a life cycle. They start out young, they get into, you know, teen years and young adulthood. And then as adults, you're still, your, your parenthood and your fatherhood in particular morphs along with the age of your child. And then when you have grandchildren, it develops into a grandfather type relationship, which is a modified and cooler version of being a dad, right? <laughs> but as a priest, you know, you get to be a father to people in all stages of their life. You get to be a father to a dying 90 year old. You get to be a father to a eight day old baby. You get to be a father to a teenager. You get to be a father to a 50 year old who's struggling with, um, you know, to, you know, some spiritual sin. You get to be a father in all the stages of the, of the fatherhood all at once. And that's a unique characteristic of the fatherhood of the priesthood that I will never really have. Yeah. I have to share it because you're, you're hitting on the sentiments of St. John Paul II and Pastoris Dabovobis. And I, I just have to share this quote because it's such an inspiration. It was an inspiration to me many years ago. The priest's identity, like every Christian identity, has its source in the Blessed Trinity, which is revealed and communicated to people in Jesus Christ. This communion of the life of the divine persons in the Trinity finds its reflection in the living communion of God's sons and daughters in the church. Priests can claim no better title than father, which expresses their sacramental existence in the church as effective signs revealing through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, the father of mercies who gives us eternal life. The priest is rightly called father because he is a life giver in the church. And, you know, when life proceeds from the father that I get to be in the presence of someone dying in their late nineties or whatever age for that, that matter, that's far older than me in, in a temporal sphere. But the fact that my priesthood is in an eternal perspective that, that from this moment, and I feel it in my heart, I feel it in my soul when I'm administering the sacraments and I am present to this dying soul, they are a child to me. You know, the, the people that come to me that are older than me that come from marriage counseling or, or some type of, uh, you know, as you mentioned, a sin that they've committed and they are wounded and they're trying to find their way. It doesn't matter about age. The execution of the priesthood in respect to intentional relationship with the other it falls into an affectionate, you know, longing for this person to continue to develop and grow that they would ultimately be led to heaven. And that I could realize that through my witness of what God is doing in them by the power of the spirit, calling them out of their darkness, calling them into eternal life at the moment they take their last breath. And that is most definitely some of the most impressive moments spiritually that I've ever had has been right there when someone is taking their last breath and the oh. confidence that I have, the mercy that I see, uh, you know, the father of mercies that JP two is talking about, like I get to be right there and I would not want to be anywhere else in the world. You couldn't put me up in the highest, you know, penthouse suite for the rest of my life compared to that. 
Like, there's no way you could put me in my greatest, like you could move me to Rome and I'm sitting on top of a beautiful condo in, in Piazza Navona or wherever. Like you can't put me anywhere, but there, that's where I'm truly happy. That's truly where I'm joy filled. You know, one of the things that Pope Francis has, has said that I particularly liked um, is that a pastor should smell like the sheep, right? And that means that, look, that's the priest should be among his people. The priest, you know, as pastor should be near his sheep, right? He, they should smell like it. They should be there when they're dying, when they're born, when they're celebrating and struggling. That's the nature of the priesthood. And that's that, that aroma of, of the, the flock that should carry around with the priest. So, and I think that's kind of what you're describing. Now, I, I, you know, if we, if we could go a little bit deeper into that too, sure. Um, there is a certain smell when you are ministering to the needs of our brothers and sisters in nursing homes in hospice centers, um, in morgues and in the funeral home. And I've been so blessed to have that aroma. And I still remember I went to Hardin Giddens out in the west side of Jacksonville a long time ago. And I was in the morgue and I was traveling around and, and some person had to leave uh, because of the smell. And um, I went outside afterwards because they had drove with me there. And um, they said, how can you how can you do that? And I just said, well, one, I've worked in a funeral home in a cemetery. Like I, I know that I've had to work and I've had to move people's bodies. I've had to help prepare people's bodies uh, for burial and all that. So, you know, I'm used to it, one, but two, the fragrance is, is something and the aroma that I smell is something that attracts me uh, in that ministry to caring for somebody in the dignity of their human body, even in death. And, and that's something we're losing as a society. We are losing a sense of dignity to the human life. Obviously, at a board, you know, like we're aborting children by the millions. Um, we, we have lost the sense of dignity of the child's personhood in the womb. We've also lost the dignity of the human person, uh, you know, at the end of life. You know, we've lost the dignity of the human person even after death. And we don't want to build cemeteries anymore. We want to spread ashes everywhere. We don't want to look at death. We don't want to walk around cemeteries. That is tragic to society. You know, and, and we have to realize that there is a dignity to the human person, even in the state of death, and their human remains are due not only the burial rituals of the church, which is an action of God's mercy, but also that they should receive rituals therein in Holy Mother Church in perpetuity to the end of time with the rituals of all souls day and the remembrance of the month of November, which all reflects on the end times when Christ will come back to judge the living and the dead. So we as Catholics, my brothers and sisters, we need to really rally behind the dignity of the human person all the way preceding the conjugal act in marriage, all the way through, through death awaiting the final judgment. That's what we have to get back to as a, as a church, as a people and proclaim that. You know, I read a statistic that says one in one dies, right? Which means <laughs> you're going to die and trying to avoid it is not going to help you deal with it. It's not going to yeah. help you 
it's not it's still it's going to sneak up on you death comes for everyone it's not going to go away by avoiding it and pretending it's not real so having a healthy relationship with your with your fate with your death will help you have a proper context on your life so that you live life fully and not in avoidance of pain and suffering but that pain and suffering and ultimately your death are incorporated into your life because that is part of living that's part of being a human that's our experience and it's one of those experiences that is the most birth and death are the two things that all people experience the same and to avoid it is to avoid a fundamental part of being a human so really you know focusing and meditating on your own death and the death of others and not being revolted by that you know uh unmistakable smell of of a nursing home that smell of death i mean i know that smell you know that smell and if it revolts you um you might want to consider why you know that these are mm. people in a very vulnerable state and these are this is what the body does right and these yes. are the the smells and if that's revolting to you it's probably more about not the actual olfactory response but it's about your perception of death and it you know consider that and that's a good point you brought up brother rich mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know i've always i've always mentioned spending 30 minutes a day by the ministry of blessed charles Foucault, the mystic of the desert to reflect on your own death and somebody just messaged me this morning how do i do that walk the cemeteries hold on to the crucifix of Jesus Christ and realize that he's dead on the cross, you know, and, and meditating on that. That's why we need cemeteries. That's why every church should have a cemetery. And I'm yep. hoping that I'll get it approved here. So please pray for me for this parish, my brothers and sisters, please pray that we could get a cemetery approved for this property. Yeah. For the intercession of St. Joseph of Arimathea and St. Dismas. Amen. So you talked about, um, you know, the fatherhood and, and, you know, vestments being cool. Um, I think another perk and another great reason to be a priest is I don't know if there's a job with better job security. I mean, it's pretty hard to be fired from being a priest. And I don't know very many. Well, it's um, happened before. It's happened. Before. It's happened before. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, you have to pull a very straight difficult. George. You have to pull a straight George Costanza, show up in the vestments of Pius the ninth and like put mustard on them and stuff. I mean, it's pretty hard. I mean, outside of, you know, absolute depravity and dereliction, which, you know, nothing to joke about. But besides that, look, it's pretty hard. Right. And I don't know very many other jobs where you sign up where you get a lifetime contract. Right. I mean, I demand my brother. And there's a lot of demand. <laughs> That's right. I mean, being a Catholic and priest just is the ultimate, a ultimate job security. It, there, there is definitely job security in the market for sure for religious life for priesthood and man does the world need it right mm -hmm. now i'm a priest by myself in a you know about a 1700 family parish i do have some assistance and support on the weekend from a beautiful brother father leonard chua many of you who, who log into my account father pagano on youtube you see him celebrate mass here at the parish of saint john paul ii but you know we need more priests. We need more religious. I want to see sisters on this property ministered, ministering to my families and ministering to these young people. We need celibacy back in the world. It's not a time to say, oh, priests should get married. Oh, sisters should get married. No, like why celibacy? You know, before you have your opinion, one, you've never lived it. Two, why don't you pick up this book? Why celibacy? And you know consider it. You know, our culture celebrates every sort of 
real or imagined sexual orientation mm -hmm. and any mm -hmm. sort of attraction besides celibacy because our culture is so obsessed with sex because yeah. they've made sex the highest calling and being of the human, right? So because true. everyone's looking for this, their validation of themselves by having somebody else give what they can't get from anyone else in sex. And they make sex this idol. They worship yeah. sex as a, as a ball, right? As an idol. Yeah. Yep. And every other sexual orientation or desire is celebrated as liberation and freedom besides celibacy. That's the one they attack because it's so alien. And that's one of the things that we listed on our list. That's a great perk and a great part of being a priest is celibacy. Celibacy is actually a good thing. It is not just this, you get all these good things plus this, you know, thorn in your side. Celibacy is actually a feature, not a detraction of the priesthood. Why don't you talk about that? You know, it, it's true. I mean, I, I'm considering back on, on the whole journey at large and celibacy was the thing that was the most difficult. Why was it most the most difficult thing to discern? I discerned priesthood like, yeah, priesthood. I feel called to that. I feel attracted to that, that I get to celebrate the mysteries, that I can align my heart with the poor, that I could I could meet the person in their suffering like that is very, very attractive to me. But celibacy, like, whoa, why, why was that so difficult for me to discern? Because I've grown up in a culture at, as the aftermath of the sexual revolution, where I've grown up in a pornography culture. I've grown up with the world presenting sex is the highest good. Sexual experience and sexual orgasm is the greatest good of my humanity. That is so ridiculous. I still remember being in community college, playing basketball and living an extremely worldly life in New Jersey. And I had a teacher express to me in a biology class. And he says, I don't know why our world and our culture, especially among men, want to isolate a woman's breasts and make it a sexual object. It is mammary glands. <laughs> it is meant to give life. It is meant to administer life to a child. And there's a greater mystery beyond sexual pleasure that's happening there. And let's look at that. And this is in a community college. <laughs> right. What, a, what courage to be able to express that. See, and I think maybe that's an overreaction. There is, there's a reason that human beings are the only mammals or animals that have permanent breasts because they are an element of attraction for men but they're also life-giving. But see, you know, when you go too far to the right, you know, then you become puritanical and, oh, sex is terrible. Or you go too far to the left and, wow, you know, they don't, they aren't for nursing children. They're for my gratification. There's a balance. There's a balance. What is, what is attractive about a woman's breast, right? The comfort, you know, the nourishment that, a son is particularly nurtured by a mother in a different way, spiritually, the spiritual motherhood that is communing with her child, the son at her breast and the euphoric nature of that, that's being transmitted spiritually and psychologically to a child, that element of being nurtured is something that is freely given by the woman that is mother. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. in the sexual act, in the conjugal act, that same comfort is being sought and nurtured. But in a pornography culture, it's it, we want to take it. We want to obsess over it. And that obsession is what limits our ability to look at this 
as a mystery and something truly beautiful that fulfills the heart. Yes, we are sexual beings, but our sexuality and the physical eros of our, of our desire and our communion with what is physically appealing should be a catalyst to the greater loves in Greek of philia, of storge, of agape love. It is just a stepping stone to greater communion and greater love. And I think there's no greater middle ground. So we don't, we don't venture too far to the right or too far to the left. The middle ground is St. John Paul II's theology of the body and the very go. ideological structure of the human person created in the image and likeness of God, man and woman, he created them. There is no greater middle ground for us to be able to focus in an ideological structure. My brothers and sisters, we're never going to get there. We're sinful, right? We're sinful beings, but we have the structure by the ministry of this great Pope. So let's look to that and try to develop culture in our faith so that we can be the pioneers to move us out of the pitfalls of the aftermath of the sexual revolution. We've got to get over it. And You're I right. do genuinely believe, back to the whole point on celibacy, I believe celibacy is the way. So if you're sitting out there and you're a young woman, you're a young man, or you're somewhere, somewhere in between and you aren't married, look, God may be calling you to be celibacy. Do not be afraid to respond to this call because it is a call and an invitation to more, an invitation to a joy that you have yet to taste. And even though it's spent like nine years, 10 years discerning priesthood, discerning celibacy, especially now living it, my brothers and sisters, it hasn't always been easy, but I tell you the joy that I have as a result of celibacy gives me the catalyst to be more for the people that I serve. And there is such a grace in living that way because it is living in such a disciplined manner with Christ so that my life may be a gift to others and I could be truly present to each person that I minister to. That's right. Celibacy is not something to be, to be either feared or mocked or even to not be considered. I mean, look, being not celibate and being married or, you know, in our culture, just being on constant hookups, it ha they have their challenges. They have their emptiness. Look, people who are going out and sleeping with someone new every other day, you know, you know, partying and then doing that, do you think they're more satisfied with their sexuality than a person who's celibate and comfortable? There is no way. Mm -hmm. That is a manifestation of a wound in sexuality where yeah. a properly lived celibacy is a fullness of sexuality. Mm -hmm. Sexuality is not necessarily about a conjugal act alone. And to consider whoring around as a man or a woman as something that's celebrated like, wow, you're a real you know, getter versus celibacy is a sign of our sick culture so yes. consider celibacy yes. as a viable real life option whether you're a priest or not and an antidote and an antidote right. like it and is an antidote to our culture yeah that's right now i could talk about that all day my brother because our I world is, is desperately in need of of this testimony uh, dude our world is <laughs> really sick i mean and just you look at it out there this is this is the fall of Rome times five, as far as sexuality goes. I mean, there's so much confusion about it because our culture, because media has commoditized sex because it taps into our most base instinct. And they know that by tapping into that base instinct, they could sell more of whatever. These corporations do not care about your sexuality, about so your true. orientation. They yeah. don't care if you are transgender, LGBTQ, straight, super straight. They don't care. What they want to do is sell you stuff. And they're 
manipulating your basest sexual desires for their financial good, which they're probably going to then go spend that money on their sexual deviancies. Don't fall for it, right? Yeah. Don't fall for it. Read Theology of the Body. Break free from the chains that this culture is putting on your sexuality. And it's it's hard, you know? Like, it is so hard. We have all grown up in this very difficult generation. But my brothers and sisters, this is a path to freedom. There is a That's path right. to freedom. And when we walk it together in empathy and compassion, we struggle in the flesh. St. Paul struggled in the flesh. We all struggle in the flesh. But when we bond together in the flesh of Jesus Christ, we have hope because his flesh is pure and he gives it to us freely so that we may join our hearts in communion with one another and we may pursue the freedom that is before us. Paradise is waiting and we are walking through the desert of this life and we have to find some way through the thick of all of this. And I believe priesthood and religious life is the way. It is the way. And when you look through every generation, what has endured the fall of Rome? Priesthood and religious life. What is what has endured, you know, the, the terrors throughout every type of plague and every type of warfare, every type of collapse of society and governmental uh, fraud and, and, and deception and and control and the deviancy of people that want to, you know, make you think a, a certain way and feel a certain way and control you and imprison you and make you a slave is the priesthood and the religious life. It is endured because Christ is purely present in it. That's yep. that's what we've got to focus on. That's real freedom. Freedom is not doing what you want. Freedom is the ability to do what you ought. That's John yes. Paul II, John and it's II. that's true freedom. Um, and identity. So another thing, and this kind of talks back to celibacy because it is a sacrifice, but one of the actual perks, again, our culture is a consumer culture. It's all about eating and drinking and taking as much and storing as much and having a bigger, newer car, faster phone, faster computer, faster internet, more expensive clothes, etc. The priesthood has built into it a sacrificial nature that demands of the person who responds to that call to sacrifice. And sacrifice is the other antidote to what our culture, if our culture has a sexual sickness, it also has a consumerism sickness. Those are, you know, those are the, the metastases of this cancer in our culture as those two, right? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. The priesthood through its very nature calls you to turn away from the possession of worldly goods, turn away from only obedience to yourself and making yourself docile and obedient to your bishop or your superior and your people and your God, there's a sacrificial nature to it. And that's one of the best parts about being a priest. Why don't you talk about it? No. And you know what you're making me think of, because obviously celibacy is, is a sacrifice, right? Um, and, you know, for the first, I would say three to four years, maybe, maybe into my fifth year, there, there were struggles associated with it, you know, and I've, I've shared that before on the show before, you know, but, um, not that I still don't, you know, have moments of, of desire or just masculine needs or, or, you know, things that I would, I would want. I mean, you um, see a pretty girl. I mean, it's a pretty girl, right? I mean, of it's course, not, you're, right? you're not, like, I don't think that's dead. ever going to change. Yeah. Like right. that's never going to change, but it's the discipline there. And it's like, you know, I, I see, I behold, I say, wow, God, like beautiful, truly beautiful. Blinders. But I don't pursue. Yeah. Like I don't pursue like the custody of the eyes would then give chastity to the soul. 
you know, but I, I can still look, behold, and say, truly beautiful. Thank you, God, for creating woman in such a magnificent way. But at the same time, my discipline to not pursue gives me the energy to pursue Christ even more. Mm-hmm. And I, when I look at him every day, I wake up and every night I go to bed, I have that image of Christ with a crown of thorns right next to my bed for countless you know, years and from the beginning. And it's like, you know, I choose you. I choose you. I want to pursue you. I want to pursue greater communion with you. And that can only happen through these disciplines of sacrifice. Yes, celibacy is one, but two, something that I take a promise, uh, you know, is the promise of simplicity, simplicity of life as a diocesan priest. There's other priests that take a vow of poverty. For me, simplicity of life is like, I look at my life, am I living a simple life? Am Am I pursuing things in the world that are violating my simplicity? You know, and, and that helps me tremendously. At, at first, I really didn't, didn't know, like, you know, well, what is simplicity? You know, like, what does that even mean? Well, well, now, like, I try to make it a point that my life is not cluttered with all of these different initiatives. Like, my initiative, simply put, is pursuing Christ and trying to fulfill his will circumstantially what he's presenting before me right now. It's the ministry to my brothers and sisters with the Catholic talk show, the people who connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and through the show and and the YouTube efforts that we're doing like that. That's important to me. I feel like God has placed that in my path through the ministry of Bishop Estevez. Bishop Estevez sent me to work in media this I'm here. So let me be faithful to it. I may not be great at it, but let me be faithful to it. I mean, you're not Mike Schmitz, but you're all right. You know, Bishop put me here at this at this mission that's now a parish. We're within our first year. You know, there was a lot of effort to bring it and corral it back into a good trajectory. Thank God that we are on that trajectory. We're in a very healthy situation. And, you know, to build out a church here, this is what I'm responsible for. So that speaks to your obedience to your bishop. So that's also a sacrifice that you're obedient to someone else. Obedience is a hard thing to be, man. Obedience and our culture says do whatever you want, be whatever you want. You could be anything, but being obedient is not something they like. It's like, you know, fight the power all the time, but obedience is a virtue. It's a great great point, dude. Like it it is a all out attack on authority that's in our culture and society. And, and that can happen within us too. Like if I didn't have the ministry of the Bishop, like I'm, ah, the bishop is your is your if i didn't have shepherd. my bishop expressing to me with his crozier and his mitre this is the direction of your pastoral life if i didn't have that i would be a rogue you know how much the devil will play oh my gosh if you're doing stuff based on your own initiatives and your own pride the 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 evil you can get into in serving yourself is immense it is immense. We have to follow protocols of leadership in life. We have to identify authorities. Are those authorities perfect? No, but they are circumstantially by the grace of God in the position of leadership. And they may come against you. Look at John of the cross. Look at Padre Pio. Look at all these, these people that went through hell with their superiors. But can you find Christ in the midst of obedience? 
can you find Christ in being in a circumstance? You know, and, and I don't want to preach too emphatically about it because I feel like I'm blessed, man. Like I'm in a situation that I would choose. Right. Right. Now, but it, might it not hasn't always, be always so. been the case. Right. Like there was there was an assignment that like I definitely would not have chosen to be in some circumstances. You know, there's been there's been other places where I've been all along the line throughout the seminary, all through where I would not have chosen to be here. But thank God I was given those those orders because at least it exercised my engines. I'm not I'm not there where John of the Cross is, but I feel like I was formed to be there potentially if that's what God wills. You know, it's like you consider what they what, you know, basic training trains you in. You know, the initial thing they're going to train you in is not to have courage or not to have. And it's like when your gun jams, this is what you do. When your brother dies, this is what you do. So the very first principle that they're teaching you in basic is like, this is what you do when your gun jams, worst case scenario. This is what you do when, when your brother dies. This is worst case scenario. Well, worst case scenario, the dark night of the soul and my superiors oppressing me. What do I do in the presence of that? It's like, you've got to find obedience through Christ, through the structures of, of what's being organized. So without a doubt, it's a sacrifice, but Christ is there in every mm-hmm. element of suffering. Per crucem ad lucem. The cross is, if the cross is there, Christ is there. If you are dying to yourself and you are feeling the pain of that, good, <laughs> very good, because it's that is the elements of you dying coming to the dawn of a new day. We have to go through many deaths before we come to our definitive death. And to be able to allow that process to take place is for a priest, you know, that's the path. And hopefully that would then inspire people that I'm called to serve, you know, whether that's in a parish setting, whether that's in a hospital, whether that's in a prison, whether that is, you know, isolated in a prison cell being starved and I'm celebrating mass with speckles of, of unleavened bread and, and wine in my hand, you know, beaten and bruised every day. Like Ventuan, or you know, or mm-hmm. all these other heroic people, heroic priests. Right. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of it is if you look at the military, that they train you for discipline, right? And no one really looks at the military life um, the same way they do as the priesthood, but there's a lot of similarities. So if you're a military man, and you know, considering the priesthood, there's a lot of uh, things that'll be familiar to you, but they train you, but you don't know where they're going to send you and you have to be obedient. If they're sending you to, you know, to European command or to the South Pacific or to South America or the Middle East or Southeast Asia, you go where they tell you to. They provide you your food, your training, your uniform, and then they, as your commander or you as a priest have with your bishop, go in obedience to your vow and to your to your, um, you know, to your honor, to where you were told to go with the training you were provided. Mm-hmm. So. And, you know, I'm, I appreciate that, you know, w- when we were preparing for the show, we really didn't uh, talk in depth about, you know, this is how we're going to cover it. It's like, we almost covered, you know, all of my promises right there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and to realize that, you know, obedience is one of the highest goods that are afforded to me in the structures and the, and the order of discipline 
that we have inherited from generations of wisdom. There is, there is wisdom, and that is why Christ has secured the Holy Roman Catholic Church, the universal church, why it has been secured throughout every generation. Obedience has a lot to do with that. Absolutely. Christ was obedient to the cross. Amen. Right? He was obedient to his father's will to the point of the cross. Not, not my will be done, but yours. That's obedience. Yeah. And if he can follow the obedience to, to God, the father, to the cross, you know, considering obedience, to your life also an important thing. Now, Christ learned obedience through what he suffered, as the scripture says. So, you know, do not stray from suffering. If you're su suffering in your marriage right now, don't stray from it. Embrace it. If you're suffering raising your children right now, don't don't try to run away from it. Suffer it. If you're trying to suffer, you know, you're suffering through the seminary. My brother says, like, I, I went through a lot of suffering through the seminary, you know, but suffer through it with Christ. It forges a bond that's inseparable, and he will always 100% keep it 100. He guides you through it. Per crucem ad lucem. Put it in stone and never let it be erased from time. Like so, per crucem ad lucem. Embrace cross, it. Nothing else matters. Amen. Amen. So now we got two more things that we want to talk about, two more great parts of being a priest. Um, I'm going to get into one of them first. And look, I just know that there's some... There's some perks of wearing a collar that most people don't get, you know, whether it's maybe some leniency for a speeding <laughs> ticket or something along those lines, you know, there's a lot to it. So what are some of those perks that you might well, not consider that aren't really, those are kind of, those are the French benefits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what did you want to know? I, the you French know, benefits, I, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a great story. So uh, I had a funeral. And everybody knows about the procession from the church to the cemetery. Mm -hmm. And boy, does that procession go slow. And, you know, so there was a procession, there was a procession from Flagler down to, you know, South Daytona. And I had a ton of work on my desk. So I finished the funeral. I shot over to my desk. I told the funeral home. I said, Hey, I'll meet you guys down there. So I run into my office and I start cranking out some stuff jump in my car, hit the road. And I'm like flying. I'm moving, man. My father rich drives fast too. I do. He drives I do. fast God, too. So God if you're, if you're me. describing it as flying, I was Ooh. moving. I was, trust me, I was moving. So I, and you know, I, I wound up passing. <laughs> I passed the procession on the interstate and like, <laughs> right when I passed the procession, a cop pulls me over. And, I'm pulled over. The procession goes by me, which is like totally embarrassing. And um, so, the, the, the Wait, so, so, so the procession, you, you drove so fast, you lapped the procession, then get pulled over and the procession <laughs> drives past you and sees you pulled over. <laughs> yes. Very embarrassing moment in my life. And I mean, this is great. I mean, this is great what happened. So the state patrol cop comes up and I have so much respect for police and, and, and first responders. Um, so he comes up to me, I roll down the window. I roll down all of my windows, put my hands up. I do everything to kind of make a, a police officer feel comfortable. 
comes up. I, I hand him my uh, my ID, insurance, all that stuff. And he says, "Father, where are you going?" I said, "I've got a I've got a funeral. I've got a funeral to get to, and I'm doing the committal down at the down at Daytona." <laughs> and and he says, "I'll be right back." So he comes back. And he hands me a ticket for $265 or whatever it was, like $185. And he said, he said to me, Father, you are very important to society. Slow it down. We need you. And I received it. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Like, I, like, I, like I just said thank you for a ticket that I just got. And um, But it, he, was, he was right, you know? Like, he was right. And... Um, it really touched my heart. So many of you thought, like when I was sharing this story, I, man, like, oh, you, he got you, out of there. You got out I of thought thing. you, I, you had me. I thought you were going to get away with a ticket. Now, truth be told, I have, I have gotten away with a ticket <laughs> or two over the years. But, uh, but no, like um, I've, I've received a few because I do have a problem with rushing, you know, and not slowing down. And God has constantly told me, like through many different mediums, different different, uh, you know, different experiences that I've had, uh, where God is definitely communicating to me, slow down. I got to tell you this one quick story too. I, I was sent to the psych ward. Um, and I, not me personally, I was ministering. In the psych ward. <laughs> well, I can tell you the story. <laughs> so, so there was this guy, uh, Eddie money. Every time I walked in, Eddie had Eddie a money chain. And he had a big clock around his shirt. Be, Eddie, like baby. two tickets I, to Paris, two tickets to paradise, Eddie Money? Not, not Eddie Money. Uh, Eddie uh, Money lived around here, by the way. So the real Eddie, Eddie Money. was Money. awesome. Yeah. But this was his nickname. So Eddie Money. And he was, he was awesome. He used to sing at mass before he died. Um, so this guy had a big clock around his head. He had the wife beater on. I gave, he'd come over. He'd give me a big hug. And I'd start my day. And, he, you know, he would he'd be walking around everywhere. And then I got to know all these different people. And, and Henry... Uh, had a brain injury when he was a lot younger and but you know Henry's been there for years but Henry is a big helper to all of the nurses so Henry goes and he, he makes sure everything's stocked properly and this one particular day I said I'm going to be working with Henry today so I'm working with Henry I said Henry so what do we have to do first and we got to get the coffee cup so you know I go underneath and it's like my my speed and like what I what I do it's like all right I grabbed a bunch of coffee cups and he's just grabbing one coffee cup and he's going to walk it out to the, uh, you know, to the station and put the one coffee cup up there. And he says, brother, 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 slow down, slow down. While I'm like hugging all of these coffee cups, slow down. You've got to enjoy your work. I'm like, whoa. And then I just took one cup and I followed after him. And we just, we did that for a long time. One cup after one cup and stacking them there for everybody's coffee. Very intentional, you know? And, you know, I've had moments like that. And you think that would get through my testadura, my hard-headedness, you know, uh, you know, got little by little, right? Little by little. Mm -hmm. Rome wasn't built in a day, I suppose. So do you ever go and get a cup of coffee or pop into a bar and the coffee or the drinks are on the house? Does that ever happen? I gotta imagine so, it does. If you're, so, if you're wearing your collar, obviously. People yeah, are just no. giving me free coffee because of your looks of without the collar. People, <laughs> people, people are genuinely so generous to their priests, you know, yeah. and I've, I've received so many different, um, you know, like meals. Some, somebody offered me when I was just exhausted, they offered me a condo to go kind of rest and relax um, and just kind of recuperate. I typically don't 
like doing stuff like that, but people are always offering, um, you know, support like that. And, uh, you know, I, I recall being at, you know, at a golf uh, match with some friends and, um, next thing you know, I have a beer in front of me and, and it's like, you know, oh, it's down. Hey, thank you very much. Kind of a thing. And, you know, people are, are genuinely very, very, uh, generous and nice. So there's, there, you know, I don't want to call them perks because I feel like, you know, you shouldn't be, but there, there's so many, there's so many, you know, well, I benefits mean, for sure. Perks are getting perks. Isn't a bad thing. You know, I mean, it's not, I mean, I it, suppose you're right. I suppose it's not. Right. I mean, look, when, I mean, how many great home cooked family meals have people invited you to, oh, you know, how many, dude, you know, I've got a family here in the parish. They're, they're building an Italian restaurant. They just moved here from New Mexico, the Bedoni family they it's the best Italian food I've I think I've ever tasted so and and no offense to any Italian restaurants in the Jacksonville extended area but boy when this this restaurant comes to town it's gonna be over I mean they've got excellent food and I was blessed I've already had you know three times they've taken care of me with different different food just you know amazing amazing generosity people are are generous to their priests and they give them some deference because they're you know at least among faithful Catholics, there's there's still that type of respect that you used to have in the old days for an authority like that. And, you know, certainly priests can abuse that and they can go and. Oh, yes, you know, they can. And they can and they can take advantage of that and not be grateful for it. But and, and that it, needs to be disciplined. Right. Like if I if I don't if I, you know, could I go out golfing with my parishioners every day of the week? Yes. Wouldn't pay a dime. Could I right. go out to dinner every day of the week with my parishioners? Yes. Could I have hundreds of thousands of bottles of wine and drinks and all this stuff? Yes, it can be abused. And for my brothers out there, do not abuse the charity of, of the parishioners at all. Like that, it, that's not right, right? Our discipline is to simplicity of life and we have to administer the sacraments. We've got to be smelling like the sheep, right? So the, the sheep, are the ones that are in need of our care are the ones that are with thorns in their feet that they're t- tied up in barbed wire and they're going to die. They're lost on the mountaintop and they're going to fall prey to the, to the mountain. Like we've got to be searching for those, those sheep. If you've got a, a flock of sheep and they're just chilling and get, you know, getting their nails filed and you know, they're having a, a great time and grazing, like let them graze. They're good. You right. know, every now and then go and graze with them, but that's like every now and then don't, don't make it, a regular practice because then you could get brought into that kind of bachelor lifestyle. That's not the priesthood. That's right. That's, that's not the priesthood and it can be taken advantage of, and it has been taken advantage of, and it's not, it's not right. I refuse things all the time and you have to, you know, mm-hmm. you have to. And I want to say this too, you know, to all of my lady out there, to all of my, to all of the people out there that love the priesthood and support priests and care for priests and pray for priests. Keep that coming. Please pray for your priests. But when it comes down to like Christmas and Easter, please don't buy your priests like chocolates and the most unhealthiest things in the world. Don't be giving your priests all of this wine and, and, you know, stuff like, you know, uh, scotch and all these different things, you know, give them healthy things. We want healthy priests, right? I want to be healthy. And there's times where we fluctuate our weight because people are being generous, but they're being generous with the things that, you know, appease the flesh. And, and, and trust me when I tell you, it's hard, you know, it's hard at Christmas when you get all those, everybody wants to bring you fresh baked, you know, pies and cookies and, you know, all that stuff. And, and just keep your priests healthy 
buy your priest gym memberships. Get them a get them a um a trainer that they're disciplining them an exercise. Those that would be a better a better thing for your priest. <laughs> no, nah, I'm coming down there and I'm bringing hard boiled eggs and bourbon. <laughs> I can always expect the best from you, my brother. <laughs> Nothing that's why but the we best. Get, that's why we hang out so much. <laughs> yeah, it's just all hard-boiled eggs, corn chips, and bourbon. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> all right, uh, now, before we get into the last one uh, yeah. and culminate this episode, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsors. Um, one of our sponsors is Hollow. It's the number one Catholic prayer app. Um, it's a really great app for using technology to recenter your prayer life. They have a lot of amazing features, daily prayer, um, guided prayer, so that if you know, you're know you not sure what to say at the moment, you can have a, something to pray along with. Lexio Divina, they have things like uh, Father Mike Schmidt's Bible of the Year. They have prayer stories read by people like Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus and the Chosen. Really great app. If you go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash hollow, you can get that app for free. And you can really start to use technology to explore your prayer life. Um, really cool app. Uh, it's again, number one Catholic prayer app out there. Now, our other sponsor is the Catholic Woodworker. So that's Catholic Woodworker, catholicwoodworker.com. What the Catholic Woodworker does is they create handcrafted and beautiful spiritual weapons for daily battle, right? They're handcrafted. These are taking rosaries and home altars and crucifixes and making them to the standard of respect and beauty that these sacred objects deserve. They're all handmade in the United States. They're made and crafted of, you know, fine woods and great elements and using old fashioned styles. You can go on Catholic Woodworker and you can pick your own so you can choose the kind of wood you want, the kind of corpus, the kind of metals. It's really an heirloom quality artisan craftsman level so instead of just buying a two dollar plastic rosary made in you know the people's republic of china right you can get something that's really beautiful and something that lasts generations so again go to catholicwoodworker.com check out their rosaries their crucifixes and their home altars their home altars if you don't have an altar in your home check those out give your home a place to focus your prayer and your worship at um, and they're beautiful. They would last for generations. Again, go to catholicwoodworker.com. So Father Rich, last part of being a priest, that's awesome. Um, and really, you know, we touched about this and you, because it's so interwoven with the priesthood, we couldn't really not have brought it in, but, you know, the sacraments, but in particular, in particular, you know, the sacrifice of the mass and offering the Eucharist. That is the source and the summit of the Christian life and also the source and summit of the priesthood. You know, to be able to give and to be able to provide the sacraments to the people who would not otherwise, if we don't have priests, we don't have sacraments. That's, that is the fundamental function of the priest is providing that sacramental grace through the permission and the power of Christ to his people. Why don't you talk about that? So the sacraments of initiation, as we all know, baptism, reconciliation and Eucharist, confirmation, you know, the experience pastorally of being present, especially at baptism, right? The very beginning, uh, there was a picture of me that went viral for my first parish 
Um, it's still being circulated. It kind of spikes every now and then. Randomly. My mom said it to me. I know which one you're talking about. She's like, hey, is that Father Richard? I'm like, yeah, that's Father Rich. <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's gone all over the place. And and people have grabbed it and, and put it in magazines and, and vocation stuff, which is crazy to me. But, you know, I recall, <laughs> I recall baptizing her and she was just so responsive the entire time spiritually, just locked eyes, filled with joy attentive as can be as this little baby, you know, and, you know, she was pulling out my fatherhood in such a powerful way. Um, and then when you see these children from baptism, you know, be nurtured and catechized and led up to the point where they're going to their first reconciliation. I still remember this little guy at my first parish, and I had talked to these kids so many times leading up to their confession. And he came in and he started sharing all of the things that he felt really, really bad about. And he started to cry and he got it all out. And I absolved him of the sins and he stood up and he says, Oh, father, I feel so much better now. And he just wrapped his arms around me and gave me a big hug. It was the most beautiful thing. And then to be able to see these kids come forward and it's not a photo op of a, of a right of becoming for First Holy Communion. When they're properly prepared, it's like, this is your time to commune with Jesus for the first of many times. Jesus is drawing you to himself so that you can receive him. And to see the joy of that, you know, for whether it's a First Holy Communion or Viaticum, where you, get, you administer Holy Communion to the dying and everything in between. When you get to witness the children of God as a priest, you're saying the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, and the covenant of his blood, which promises you eternal life, I give to you. You know, it's like, you know, Peter and John entering into the temple area after the resurrection, and they see a crippled man right there, and it's like, you know, I don't have gold or silver to give you. I don't have gold or silver to give you. But what I do have, I give to you freely. Rise and walk. Like the power of healing, the power of administering the, the very mercy of Jesus Christ and, and seeing that happen in front of your eyes uh, is immensely powerful. And then you come to the point where a child is brought to a profession of faith and you've cultured them, you've catechized them, you've brought them before the Blessed Sacrament, you take them on retreat, and, and they get lit up in the Spirit, and now they're approaching the bishop, who's my father, you know, in the Spirit. And now you're watching these kids that are entrusted to your care by the bishop walking up to him as the bishop confers confirmation on them, and the pastor stands by the bishop's side in witness and observing that. You know, I cannot wait till Bishop comes here on May 18th to our parish to confirm our children and to see these kids that I was walking with throughout their retreat throughout this year to see all of them, how much they volunteer and help out around the parish. They're culturing such a, a vibrant parish, especially our young people to see them come forward, profess their faith and, and be confirmed. Oh, man, that that pastoral joy, the shepherd's joy, the father's joy in me is, you know, like, I wouldn't trade that for the world all the way back to the beginning of this episode. It's like, I, I am so blessed. And the priesthood is so amazing. I am so grateful to be called. I am humbled that I'm called. 
But the joy of that, I wouldn't trade for the world. All right, so that's that's it. That's that's the episode. But really, you know, being a priest is an awesome vocation. It is not a dark slog. It is not wearing robes with hoods and flagellating yourself in a stone cellar. I mean, it's a vibrant, joyful life that really more people should consider because it provides so many answers to the things that this world questions that cannot provide answers. This world is creating things and holes in people that really, you know, more people considering the priesthood is the only thing that will ever, ever really satisfy these people's souls. So, you know, if you're discerning and considering a religious life, priesthood, uh, you know, a religious sister, you know, really we're praying for you. Um, the church is praying for you in your discernment and, Pursue it because it is a great life. I mean, look at it. Look at how happy this guy is. Look at him. Look at the smiles. He smiles all the time. <laughs> and just again, if you know somebody discerning the priesthood, pick them up the book. Why celibacy? If you consider like, hey, I don't agree with celibacy, pick up the book. Why celibacy? And I don't even know Father Carter Griffin, but, you know, it's an excellent book, you know, and check it out and really pray Pray, pray for an outpouring of vocations in the universal church. We need a revival of men and women who choose Christ over all of the goods of the world. Choosing the greatest good is choosing Christ and giving your whole life for it. And when you do, you will find a joy so immense that it fills your soul. And each and every day through the suffering of life, you will find Christ and he will continue to guide you to eternal life. And in that respect, as a mother or as a father, a spiritual mother or a spiritual father, your femininity, your masculinity will administer by the power of God's grace to the children of God, the baptized, the chosen, the, those who have been chosen in this royal race of Jesus's bloodline. You will minister to that. And my friends, that is a powerful calling. And I'm blessed and humbled to be a part of it. We are also blessed and humbled by our Patreons. Thank you so much for supporting our show. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And before we go, make sure that you hit the subscribe button, click the bell, and we will most certainly see you next week. God bless.